0: If you're shaking and wobbling, it's all falling apart. But the heart is good. That's the most important thing. Even if you think you're having a meltdown, if your heart stays focused on the melting, instead of taking it personally, I am having a meltdown. Just being aware of meltdown. In the same way when you're overexcited or obsessed with something and you can be aware of instead of I am obsessed just being aware of there is obsessive activity. Just observe the result of behaving in that way and come back to the center from which we can make a choice. Do we want to do this? Do we want to just follow this? like walking across a bridge. If you want to cross the river, you need to find the bridge. And if you want to cross over a difficult moment, you need a bridge, and the bridge is sometimes stopping. Stopping and allowing yourself to regain your balance. Even if you have one moment of balance, it's better than no balance. It's like one moment of non-fear, is better than just spinning with fear or spinning with thoughts. Whatever your thoughts contain, they will color the mind, they will disturb the mind, distress it, and give us only turbulence to run on. Now we're going beyond just the intention to stay on the path. We need skillful means to work with, so we, we're trying to direct ourselves to wholesomeness, away from unwholesomeness. This is the first thing to notice. What is the quality of the mind state? Is it disturbing? Is it pleasant, unpleasant? Is it uh, conducive to peace? Or what is what's the result of it? Where is it leading? If it's a kind of negative mood, you can take that and evaluate it, rather than just going along with it. This isn't a practice where you accept whatever's happening. We have to measure it, deeply connect to our inner wisdom, and be able to, as I said this morning, be able to apply the brakes when necessary. So, it's as if, if you're in a house that's burning, you get out. And if your heart is on fire, you apply the water element. And the water element, for example, in the face of anger, would be forgiveness, or a sense of blessing. How can we bring forth blessing when we feel angry? We have to turn the mind to what, what do we have Like in this room, if we feel we can't breathe, we open the door, and we bring in air, and then we can breathe. So turn your mind to something that will uplift it so that your anger doesn't burn you up, so that you gain a moment of strength. And of course, the hardest thing to do, probably, is to sit down and feel your anger and be with it, and touch through your mental alertness the place in your body where anger is most prevailing, the place in your body where your tension can be felt. Right now as you're sitting here, those of you that are writing, don't write. You have to write this on your heart. Paper, it doesn't work. I did this. My teacher told me, "What are you writing?" I said, "I'm. I was writing a poem." (laughs) He he said, "Write it on your heart." And so I had to stop. Out of respect, I just put it down. But I had this good poem coming up. (laughs) I I need to write this down. some poem. These things are not things we ever go back to. We might for a little while, but they don't really sustain us. But if something is written on your heart, that will sustain you. The other thing I can ask you to do while I'm talking, don't drink. Don't be drinking things, because I'm the one that's thirsty. I got dry throat here. I'm not taking sips of water. This is what we do. We're constantly reaching for our little comforts. And this is the age of water bottles. Everybody's got a water bottle. And in the old days, only babies had bottles. <laughs> now, now everybody's got a bottle and they take it into the hall. So it's not that hot in here, is it? These are symptoms of our habitual patterns and habitual ways of doing things. And we don't even think. We just reach for our little bottles and we take them with us everywhere. And we have very fancy bottles. We have bottles that have stripes and spots and different colors and odd shaped covers. And uh, at the Hermitage, we have a collection of water bottles. People leave them behind. Our life is so cluttered. And we have a lot of people visiting, so we get their clutter. We have enough of our own clutter. But the way out of the clutter is to practice a little bit of renunciation. And when you're caught up in a state of anger, you have to practice a bit of renunciation, which is, to be able to feel the discomfort of that burning sensation and stop and allow yourself to get in touch with the physical counterpart of that mental state. And it isn't by sipping on your water bottle that you're going to cool your mind, but it's by recognizing there's poison in the mind. And how do I heal myself from that? And the healing of that doesn't happen forever in the one moment that you can touch the tension or tightness in your throat or your chest. But it comes from repeatedly recognizing this is an unskillful mental habit, stopping knowing it, not believing in it, mentally dealing with it, not grabbing the monster, but going to the feeling in the body where that intensity of mind state is expressing itself. Because it influences us physically. And it comes very often from things that are held deeply in the body that we haven't looked at, we haven't been able to touch or come to terms with. Some, it could be an old karmic pattern a habitual way of holding something we couldn't express. Like if you were, as a kid, if you couldn't, supposing you weren't allowed to give an opinion. Anybody have a strict parent that didn't let you tell them what you were feeling? Or live in a family where you weren't allowed, just in general, no, no emotion to be expressed except everything is great? Or that's what we pick up from our family members, that unless we say nice things, we won't get what we want or we won't get their approval. And so we hold that we help hold that coping mechanism throughout our life. And then when we sit down to meditate, we're like a broken train. We don't chug along, we're we're just limping, we're wobbling. We're we're dried out. We haven't got much to give, and the breath is waiting to be felt, to be known, to be attended to. And we manage to be so busy, so busy getting and spending, rushing and filling our schedules, that we don't know what our breath is like. Then when we sit down to breathe and be attentive to the breath very often it's uncomfortable it's tight it's short it's gasping and we get fed up and we think, I can't do this practice this isn't for me or today it's like something happened and it touches us in a way that reverberates to an ancient hurt or an uncomfortable articulated grudge an unarticulated anger could be at the tip of a whole aquifer of rage that we are completely unaware of but we sit down to meditate we sit down just to breathe for a few minutes and balance ourselves and then we touch this emotional chasm within us that is too big to even feel. But we must, little by little, bring it forth in slow breaths, in practice, in day-by-day commitment to know what are we holding, what are we living with, what is subterranean. Instead of being distracted by worldly sights and sounds, smells, tastes, Touch sensations, gratifications, trips and adventures, possessions, occupations, degrees, identities, and so forth, and opinions, so many opinions. Then we want to dress up for the world, but really we have to look in the mirror of the heart and see the raw, bare truth of what we are holding we have to stop dressing it up, trying to make it look pretty, trying to make an angry face into a smile. Until we have really acknowledged how much anger there is, or how much fear there is, how can we smile? How can we truly bring forth joy? This practice has the capacity to bring forth from within us a joy that no one can disturb, no one can frighten us away from anymore. And even if we've lost what we think was the only thing that could bring us joy, that's not true. We are not far from the very source of joy within us. And to be able to bring it forth we have to be able to ride the breath patiently. When I was a kid, I was very fascinated. I used to watch my brother play chess with my dad. I used to watch them, moving these little wooden figures on this board, and it didn't make any sense to me. But later, the more I watched, the more I started to understand what this was and what they were doing. The world is a bit like a chess game. But it's a madness. It's a nonsense game. And we're completely subscribed to it. We believe in it, we support it, and we participate in it. But, you know, it is, in the end, it's a game. And we're not in control of this game. And so when terrible things happen, we become extremely distressed. But within us, there is a space that we need to watch and get to understand much better than any game is to give our attention to that. Much better than any study that we can do is the study of our own heart. And just like if you learn a trade, Or if you study a subject like math or engineering or chemistry or English, you get very proficient in your field. In the same way, we need to develop proficiency in the field of self-study. And this requires acknowledging the ingredients that are there. What is boiling within us? what's in the soup, what's been cast into it against our will sometimes. We didn't want it, but it came through because we were young, vulnerable, defenseless, and didn't know how to escape the brunts of other people's rubbish or of the rubbish of the world. So we keep carrying it around. And the way of cleansing that is to simply... Know it deeply. Be with it. Study the field of the heart. See the rocks. See the flowers. If you look at a field, you see many things. If you look closely, if you get down on your hands and knees and look at the ground, lie down on the ground and look between the blades of grass, what will you see? A universe you couldn't see by standing and looking at the meadow from a distance or the field from. if you look at a leaf close up under a microscope what do you see? a little universe of cells and veins and in the grass you see insects tiniest little creatures spiders of unusual color pebbles and bits of soil and stone so many shapes and variegated objects with different kinds of textures. And this is what we see when we look within. We see a lifetime or lifetimes of surfaces and stains and impressions and phenomena of many sorts. And we also touch things that are untouchable, we see things that are burning within us, our fears, our fires, of longing, of unrequited loves, and failed relationships, and so many things like that, memories, all of those lying within us. And by looking at them and studying them, that what we've collected as human beings on the journey We can be amazed. These are dead, they're past, finished. We have to know them as they've arisen and were sustained for a while and passed away, acknowledging this is no longer. We breathe life into the present moment and we can put aside the past, really. Put aside the future and just hold that space as a journey that we've walked. And these were all the different experiences that taught us something. And now we have the, the wealth of that experience. Whatever we hold that we cannot hold, we touch it with a forgiveness, and acknowledgement. Yes, this happened, and we can let it go. Yes, this is finished, we can let it go. By letting it go, we release ourselves from the shackles of so much. But it doesn't happen quickly. It happens by looking again and again and again. The longer we look with that kind of eye of knowing, openness, investigation, wisdom, We see these things not as me and mine, but just as arisen, passed away, arising and passing away. It could be arising and passing away now, but it's impermanent. It's not what we are. And it's brought suffering or happiness. Those happinesses are also gone. But what brings us real joy is waking up to the journey itself, and to the strength we have to look, examine, and let go. Looking with wisdom, studying, examining, holding under the view of impermanence, suffering, not self, empty. And then it's just, it's just a little pebble in a field. It's a spider crawling up a blade of grass. It's the shadow of the sun between the plants growing. The field of the heart is as variegated as the field on the hillside or the trees in the forest. We don't have to study every tree to know the meaning of forest or to know the meaning of tree. We don't have to study every anger every moment of disappointment or despair that you felt to know what despair feels like so just feel it in the body and by allowing it to be felt it, it dissipates the more we study something, the more proficient we become in knowing it for what it really is and we see that it's empty, it's impermanent it's like the breath It comes in, and it goes out. Now it feels like anger. Tomorrow, it'll be boring. You might not want to even look at it. But just to see how the mind can release by knowing things exactly as they are, we can release ourselves from the heaviness that we're carrying. think of somebody that has hurt you and that you have fear of, if anyone in your life. And in the same moment, think of someone that you love and you have gratitude for. Do we want to live with fear or with gratitude? So the Buddha's advice is very much to stay away from people that are unwise, people that don't bring goodness into our life. We have a choice. As young children, we didn't have a choice. As adults, we do. So open up to the the hurts and the pains of the journey, and then let them go. Because now we have the ability to be grateful for so much. Even just to look around and see the potential in this room. There's so many beings here seeking truth. Beings on a spiritual path. Spiritual friendship is very precious. We have so much in this world. So many spiritual friends. We don't need many. We just need one or two. But look, we have a, a room full of spiritual friends. this It's good. Let the tears flow. It's very helpful to release, you know? Because we, we want to be able to rejoice in freedom from pain. It's like when you take medicine in the hospital. And this practice is a medicine. It takes us to the middle. It gives us the opportunity to see things for what they really are. We've been fooled. We've been deluded. We have to dust ourselves off. And it's not by following a technique. The techniques do not liberate us. And we might think that we are getting free every time we sit down to meditate. But the real freedom comes from taking this practice out into our daily lives and applying it to everyday life. And you don't do that through a technique so much as through waking up to the truth of how things are. The truth is, I don't love my job. I'm not talking about myself. (laughs) I really love my work. I will never retire. But, you know, a lot of people don't love their job, don't love their family members, don't love their partners. These are serious conditions. Do you want to live like that? We have to make wise choices. If you don't love what you're doing well, why are you doing it? Find a way to do it in a situation that would be much more joyful for you. Then you can apply some time to the practice. Otherwise, being unhappy at work, if you sit down to meditate, you'll be thinking a lot because you'll be holding a lot of unrest, restlessness and anxiety in your heart. Because you're not really living in a way that's in harmony with here, with your heart this is where truth can be given a voice it's not by blaming the world blaming our job blaming our lack of education our poor health the color of our hair our age oh the world is passing me by our sense of being lost but it's by finding the goodness in here and then it forth in every day we need to see the truth of what we're doing by seeing the truth of what we're doing we can then reflect better the truth of what we're feeling in here we can come to a place of strength by seeing the truth because the truth will set us free to know how much dissatisfaction how much dukkha how much fear there is within us, and to also find the places of joy and non-fear and non-anger that are within us, and bring those out into the light. Bring those up into consciousness. Let those be our guiding posts, our safety, our refuge. So then, instead of going to the movies, instead of watching videos on the internet, Just watch your mind. So much movie. There's lots of video in there. It's already downloaded. We've been downloading it for years. And we never replay it. So we forget what we've had to live through and what we've had to endure and we forget. So just study that. Get to know yourself intimately and then find the place where you can cut through and get to the center point where your mind doesn't move to the past or the future and is no longer wanting anything at all. It's just completely content in the present moment. To experience that for one moment is a a moment of freedom. And we want to increase those moments. Then we have the chance, if we're feeling afraid, we have somewhere to sit here. We can sit in this moment of non fear Instead of spinning in the fear, we can sit in a moment of non anger of loving kindness or compassion. Even for someone we don't like, you get stopped by a policeman, and he's giving you a ticket and you just want to yell or insult. No. say, thank you very much. (laughs) Try. Try saying, I'm sorry I was speeding. I'm really, really sorry. How are we responding to the truth of how things are? Yeah, we were speeding. I'm very sorry. I'm so glad that you're watching out for speeding drivers like me. And yeah, I deserve this ticket. Take responsibility. So let's not speed through life, but let's live in a way that we slow down and we see the reality of what we're creating and then we disentangle ourselves from that. And we press the reset button and start over every day. Meditate, come to the center point, balance put in the ingredients for wholesome thoughts, wholesome action, wholesome speech to arise. That's the Buddha's teaching, is to develop wholesomeness, to purify the mind, to strive in the direction of purification. At first we have to clean up the mess, so it feels like very hard work. If Anyone here has been through cancer treatment and radiation and terrible drugs to get rid of this virulent mass. But then once you get past that, you can experience a powerful remission. There is remission through the Dhamma. There is remission from fear, hatred, and delusion. That's redemption. The one out there will save us. But by turning inward and seeing our own condition, examining our mental condition and seeing how mentally unwell we are or how much work we've done, we continue, we keep probing and applying the right medicine, the good medicine with the Dhamma. And then we redeem ourselves from the snares of the world. From the snares of Mara, the imposter that taunts us with all kinds of exciting ways of operating and functioning in the world. Just a few years ago, a cell phone was a very unusual object. And now it's become standard. Standard. I wonder how dangerous this is. People are so disconnected. They don't sit and talk to each other anymore. They just talk to their cell phones. Do you ever do that? I even see people walking down the street using their phones while they're walking. Never mind while they're driving. It's very scary. But now you get a ticket if you do that. You have to thank the policeman. <laughs> Let's use these things in measure so that we don't become even more attached. we're We're shackled to worldly things and worldly habits. We want to disengage from that. Eventually, we're going to have to let the world go completely. We have to let the body go completely. This life is a preparation for higher work. It's not just for accumulating wealth, power, beauty, prestige of impermanent happiness. But it's preparation for a higher work. If we don't use this life for that, then it's a wasted life. But if we use our life for that, then we can serve ourselves and we can serve other beings. We can bring well-being to many people. I know many of you already serve in different professions and ways that you work. This is a place of service here. But to be able to really serve others well, we have to be strong. We have to be in a pretty good condition. One of the most joyful things I found for my life was being able to give the Dhamma to my parents. The Buddha says we can never really repay our parents. But that is one way. We repay our debt of gratitude to them. So give them a tool for life, which is this, this kind of medicine. But don't try to force it down their throats. I remember my teacher telling me when I went back to the West, don't try to teach anyone Buddhism. Just try to be a Buddha. Try to live with wisdom and kindness. Try to be compassionate. Try to be selfless. Try to overcome your greed, your ill will, your fear, your doubt, your confusion. Don't worry about what will happen to the world. Just take care of your mind. That one little world that's in good condition and then give that to everyone, a mind that's blessed instead of broken. The traffic outside reminds me of the traffic in the mind. It just keeps keeps running along. And it reminds me of my teacher in in Nepal many years ago, Sairo Unyanapunikan. At that time, I was working for the UN, and I had a a nasty colleague. She wasn't nasty, really, but, uh, you know, I felt that she was kind of nasty. (laughs) And (laughs) I used to complain to him about her. There's this woman at work, and she wants my job. She's trying to get rid of me. And he said, you should practice metta towards her. I didn't know what that was. He said, loving kindness. Okay. So he said, whenever you think of her, try to send your loving kindness towards her. So I would do this practice for about 45 minutes, an hour, every day, and I would think of her. And sometimes I'd get really upset, but I would just try to think thoughts of loving kindness over and over again. May you be well, may you be happy. May you not have any pain. May you be nice to me. Oh! You're <laughs> not supposed to say that. <laughs> and then after quite a few weeks, I came to him one day. And she was really giving me a hard time at work, and I came to him and I said, "One thing, it's not working." <laughs> he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "She still do- doesn't treat me very well." And he said, "You're missing the point." <laughs> You know, you can't expect other people to change. But you have to change the way you respond to other people. So even if they're not nice to you, you can be nice to them. Oh, can't change her, but I have to change. So then I would do these phrases in my heart. May you be well, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering, may you be free... Not may you be nice to me, but may you be free. How do we act when we're upset? Are we nice? No. How could we expect other people to be nice if we're not nice? We're not always nice. Is there anyone in here who's always nice? (laughs) (laughs) Just raise your (laughs) hand. Come on. Do you think you're always 100% nice? So there we go. But we want other people to always be nice to us. How come? Because we're deluded. (laughs) But if we purify our minds more and more and more, it's possible for us to be nice, even when people are mean or irritable. When we were driving through this morning, we accidentally moved into the lane in front of someone, and they made a very nasty gesture. <laughs> so much anger. And I saw the expression in his face. We wouldn't have done that intentionally, it just happened. But so much anger people carry around that if one thing gets in their way, they just outraged and we know that that anger isn't really directed at us it's what they're living with so when people don't act nice it's because there's so much pain and they don't know how to articulate it and you know what we are those people we're the guy of the other car we're the antagonists dressed up differently all those kind of voices. Leave me alone. I hate you. These things are within us. And we have the capacity to transform that, to purify that energy. We can't change the fire element into the water element, but we can balance the heart so that the fires are tempered, so that we can restrain them so they don't destroy us. Because within us are all the elements, fire, earth, air, water, held in balance. Then we can practice. That takes restraint, it takes awareness, it takes wisdom, it takes practice. And we start by understanding the value of virtue, purity, developing it and protecting it, carrying it around like a treasure. So I was very careful. I felt the burning, and I felt compassion. I know the damage of that kind of mind state. He doesn't. I felt the fire here. He doesn't realize how much he's burning. The world is on fire. The world is burning up with these fires of antagonism, misunderstanding, outright hatred, cruelty, terrible cruelty. But if we can purify that within us, we already lessen the fire. And then when we meet other people who are burning up, we just do our best to respond well. We won't always be able to do it, but we practice. So let's walk and... I'll stop there for now. Stop. Stop. Stop.